Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually and then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 220 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome day. So I just to tell you a little bit about what's going on with me and some of the sound issues I've been having with the podcast. I actually got this uh, new desk a couple of months ago. I've been saving up for this desk. And one of the really cool features is you can write on the on the top of it. So I can use like a marker to write and jot notes and stuff like that. But genius me didn't realize that this would mean that my podcasting mic would have a little bit harder issue actually me actually reaching it. And so I've struggled with like weird positioning on the the mic and I think I finally got it working. And so I'm hoping that this makes, if you're a musician or just have a music background, I hope that this sound is just a lot more crisp, hopefully. Today's podcast session is an interesting conversation. I think that many of us that are especially interested in group practices might be thinking about this, which is, is it possible for me to build a private pay group practice in an area that where a lot of the other practices take insurance? My guest is Deborah Dooley. Debbie has a practice in Maryland, but she actually now lives in Atlanta and kind of manages the practice remotely. And she's learned a ton of stuff. She started as a clinician with a solo private pay practice in 2013 and did that until 2015 and then went into a group practice where she niched down to working with women and girls. And so in today's session, we're going to learn some of those things that she's learned along the way, including What was the biggest fear that she had when she was making that transition from a solo private pay practice to a group one? Does she think certain niches are easier to build private pay practices in and what she's learned just in general in terms of niching? And then we wrap up with kind of two areas. The first is the top three mistakes that Debbie has made in building her group and and the lessons that she's learned along the way. And then we wrap up with this question of, I feel like a group private pay practice owner has a unique stressor of just that constant worry of like, where will we get clients, especially private pay clients? And so we talk a lot about her self-care and some of the things that she does to maintain her emotional health. We'll get right to today's podcast conversation. But before we do, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for supporting today's podcast session. If you guys are looking for just an effective way to manage your case notes, schedule helps clients get scheduled, I encourage you to check out Therapy Notes. They're actually the software that I'm using for my private practice. 
they're a local company, and so I've gotten to know them here over the last couple of years, and and I've met with the team, and they helped me set everything up. You can learn more about Therapy Notes over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. And if you want to see it in action, you can actually also check it out on my private practice website at melvinbergis.com. And if you just go to the very top where there's the scheduling, it's actually using the yes software that, that Therapy Notes runs. So we'll get right to today's session. Here's my session with Deborah Dooley from empoweredconnections.net. Hey, Debbie, welcome to Selling the Couch. Thank you, Melvin. Happy to be here. I'm just so grateful for, for your, just for your knowledge and your expertise. And you shared with me before we get started that you've been listening to Selling the Couch for a long time. And uh, thank you for doing that. Yes, it's been very helpful for me, for sure. I'm looking forward to our conversation because this is a topic that I know that a lot of folks are interested in, which is it can be difficult to build a private pay solo practice right? Yes. It can be a bit more challenging to build a private pay group practice. And then it can, I imagine, can be even more challenging to build a private pay group practice in an area that is very insurance saturated. And so just looking forward to this conversation. I wanted to just start at the, you know, at the very beginning. When you first got started in private practice, and especially as you made that transition from a solo practice to this group private pay practice. What was your biggest fear that you had? I think my biggest fear was how I was going to get clients, which I think everybody worries about that at some point. So I started my practice in 2013 and was solo for about two years and then made the jump into creating a group practice. So, and I'll be perfectly honest, I still worry about that, believe it or not. And not maybe worry is a strong word, but that is something that I pay attention to. Yeah, like it's still something that's kind of at the forefront. And that's actually really encouraging to hear because I think sometimes we can make the assumption of like, oh my gosh, like in a way, all this is eventually like, I don't even know how to word word it, almost like it's actually kind of encouraging to hear that that fear never goes away, even as the thing builds, you know? Yes, for sure. And so you can, I guess, hold both of those positions of being still present in your mind and still growing, right? Right. Absolutely. I imagine you had this fear when you were solo, right? From 2013 to 2015 of Mm -hmm. of getting clients. Well, let me actually ask you this. What made you think that, or what made you think that, you know what, maybe I could do this at a group level, but keep it private pay versus getting paneled through insurance? I think, so where my first location is, is very rural. um, And I was the only practitioner that did not take insurance. And so as a solo practitioner, I hustled. I worked, you know, really hard, different networking. I I did a lot of writing for local magazines, a lot of speaking. And so by the time I opened my group practice, I thought, okay, I have, I'm at, I'm full and I'm turning away people. So surely I can, you know, translate that into a group practice. And so I carried, I'm a big mindset girl. So, and I also believe in abundance. I don't believe that it's a competition that we all, there's enough for everyone. Right. And so I carry that into my group practice and yeah. I guess, how do you think, I mean, this probably is a whole conversation for a whole episode, but how do you think that abundance mindset has made a difference as you've transitioned to this group practice model? I think it's helped me stay positive and very intentional. 
And so I also believe, I'm also a practical person, right? You know, intention and mindset and abundance mindset is helpful, but I'm also practical. So the abundance mindset kept my optimism and my hope going, but then I did the practical pieces. So my mentor says, pray and move your feet. So it's very much like that. Yeah. So it's almost like, yeah, think through things, but still keep moving and and move with intention. Right. So when you had the private pay practice, like what were some of the ways that you were the solo practice? What were some of the ways that you were getting clients that, that was all that translated over when you had, when you launched the group practice? So when I started out by myself, I was a generalist, which meant, you know, like we all do, I saw everyone and everything. As the months would go by, it became clear that I wasn't really great at couples counseling. So I niched, I, you know, nixed that. I, I wasn't really interested in working with men or boys. And I've always had a dream of working with women in some capacity. And I sort of had an epiphany one day. And I remember talking to my supervisor at the time. And I said, I think I really just want to work with women and girls, but I was afraid, right? That's too limiting. Everybody sees women and girls. Why would they come see me? And I remember her saying, well, you can, it's your practice. You can do whatever you want. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I can. So, you know, I do, um, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of listening to podcasts. I do a lot of personal coaching and I figured out where my ideal clients were and I started marketing towards them. So lots of doctor's offices, schools. So I went into schools and local colleges and talked to women. I talked to girls and that sort of, I think was the steam that kept me going. And then I was able to fill my, my group practice. I wanted to ask you, you said you realized over time that couples and boys and men were not like ideal niches for you. That was not Mm -hmm. an area that you had a passion for. Right. I imagine, I I don't know if you, I think I would struggle with this, which is I would want to keep a niche open just in case, you know, one of those clients came, especially if it's a private pay practice. Yeah. How did you work through that? If you, if you did struggle with it? I, well, what's interesting is that I've been doing this now for six years and I still have some male clients that I saw in the beginning that have stayed with me. And that's the joke. They always say, oh, how lucky that I'm seeing the women's therapist. And, you know, it's funny, right? But I thought that I wasn't serving them and that when I worked with men, some of them, I felt it was a lot of work. It was a struggle for me. I wasn't super excited to see them. I wasn't passionate. I know that sounds terrible, but I, they were not my tribe. And so I felt they were better served with a different clinician. And so I, I didn't struggle with that too much. I was able to let that go. Where I find some pushback is with my therapists that I've had over the years, not so much now, but when I first started, they were very resistant to niching down and only seeing women and girls. So now I only hire therapists that are excited about that and are passionate about women's issues. I guess when you were you had those initial clinicians. How did you change from those initial clinicians? They they wanted to see everyone, right? How did you change it? Like even in in the hiring process to say like, this is a practice based on women and girls. I mean, was it just like that explicit or like, how do you sort of screen and make sure that's, you know? Yeah, I'm very, so over the, obviously we get better as we go. And over the years, I've really tailored my interview questions. And so I only hire therapists that have done some work with or advocated for women's issues. And so I'll ask them, you know, how do you feel about working with just women and girls? And if I get a, well, 
you know, I'm okay with working with whomever, that's too generic for me. I want somebody who, I even prefer therapists that consider themselves feminists. And so that is definitely what I look for. So if that person doesn't meet my criteria in that regard, then I won't hire them. Hmm. You said you were going to doctor's offices, you were going to colleges, and that was when you had the solo practice. And then as you transitioned to the group, is that, did you continue to hone in and market there? Or how did you, I guess, how did the marketing change as you transitioned from that solo to group? Well, what's interesting is that I had a conversation with Joe Sanok when I first started because I was looking for a mentor, you know, a coach. And he said something to me that I needed to stop marketing as myself and I needed to market as a group and remove myself from Empowered Connections face. Hmm. Um, And so that was pivotal for me. So I started doing that. So from that point forward, any marketing, I I took my bio and I made it at the bottom of the page. Um, I removed my name out of everything and it just became the group name. And then when I was marketing, I just marketed as our group, not me, but Empowered Connections. And it's only been in the last year that I do not take new clients anymore. So I've even stopped taking clients. Hmm. Was it hard to create something and be the face of it and then in a way, you know, kind of pull back? It was. I wasn't really sure how to do it. And and we did have a little bit of pushback from the community. So people would call and they would say, oh, well, I saw you at the library or I read your article in the Maryland, you know, the Southern Maryland Woman magazine and I really want you. And so I had to create some scripts and templates for my admin to segue that into, well... Debbie's no longer seeing clients, but she's handpicked these particular therapists. And, and now we don't even, nobody even asks for me anymore, which is good. So, Yeah. I mean, but you, I mean, I like how you won like a couple of things. You actually created like scripts for folks so they wouldn't be scrambling, trying to figure things out. Right. And then you actually, you heard what the client was asking and then you still provided that like, you know, here. I hear you and you want, you know, someone that has specialty in this and this is actually someone that has been handpicked and that that would be a good fit for you. Yes. Yeah, I just I just wanted to say that was like it's such a good way of approaching it, you know. Yeah. Just to shift a little bit. So you focused on women and girls and you know, you've been on this like niching journey, I feel like, right? Yes. Do you think certain niches are like easier or harder? to niche? Like what's, I just would love to hear your thoughts on that. I think at least the community where my offices are two communities, because they're both in separate communities. Um, There's a lot of fear around niching. And so I find that 90% of the therapists that I encounter refuse to niche. They see everyone from age three to 83, for example, all genders. And I find that if you find something that you're super passionate about and your, your skill set lies there, that you're you're offering your community an opportunity to really help them heal in a way that a generalist may not be able to as quickly or as effectively. So I look at it as a disservice to the community to not show your superpower and, you know, specialize. So all of my therapists that I have, I have eight. We, um, each of them, they work with women and girls, but they each have areas of specialty within that. So I have a DBT trained therapist, so she sees teenagers. I have a trauma focused therapist, you know, one that specializes in infertility issues. So it doesn't mean that she doesn't see other women, but I feel that that's such a great skill set. Why not take advantage of it? Yeah, it's almost like you double niched, right? Mm-hmm. Like you went 
this like we serve women and girls, but within the practice, let's even take it, let's even serve you even better, you know? Yes. Like by going into like specialized. And I imagine like even like at a practical level, like the trainings they attend, like the trainings that, you know, like there's mm-hmm. just when you have that sort of framework, I feel like it becomes a lot more clear. Yes. And and then when a client's looking for a particular resolution to their problem, mm-hmm. they can read our therapist bio and, and re- it resonates with them. And so that's another piece of what I do in our practice is I believe that women need connection to heal. And so that is something that we really specialize in. So not only are we specializing in mental health that affects and impacts women and girls, but we also specialize in connecting with our clients and which everybody talks about that at grad school, right? Joining. It's kind of a no brainer, but we take it to a whole different level. And so the women that come to us end up referring other friends and family members to us because they felt that we saw them, that they felt that we got them. And that's kind of our tagline, where your story is our story, where you've been, so have we. Because we're, you know, we're all living this life as humans. You know, we all have more experiences that connect us than not. And so our job and our role as therapists in our practice is to really find those connectors and really build on those. That's such a beautiful tagline, by the way. Oh, thank you. Because like, I don't know. I, I, when you first said it, like when you just said it right now, I felt like something deep in my heart, you know, like, oh yeah, this isn't just like another private practice. Like, you know what this really is about connecting and, and being human, you know, it's not mm-hmm. about necessarily about something that's wrong with me and you're trying exactly. to like help me, you know, that's right. How, uh, I wanted to ask you like, so these clinicians have areas of specialty Mm-hmm. How do you generally decide what those are? Well, the other piece that I'm really passionate about is mentoring. And, and when I say mentoring, I'm not saying that I know more than they do or I'm some expert, but I don't, for lack of a better word, I meet with them every month and my job is to help them figure out what their dreams and goals are, not just professionally, but personally. So we do that once a month. And so a lot of times in those conversations, those specialties will appear. Not everyone comes to me and says, oh, I'm a trauma-focused, you know, therapist or, you know, I have DBT certification. Sometimes we don't really know what their specialty is. And then it's revealed later because we'll have those conversations. And I do have processes to that where, you know, I really focus on, you know, not only how many clients they want to see, but what their ideal schedule looks like. So that's the other piece is that I nourish and nurture our clinicians so that they can also then nourish and nurture their clients. So they're, they work whatever they want to work. I let them have flexibility. So I always encourage them to work around their life, not the other way around. So a lot of times those specialties, like I said, don't really manifest itself until later. Right. But I mean, it's like such a subtle thing you said, but it's so powerful. Like by empowering your clinicians, they feel empowered and then they're able to empower their the clients that you guys serve. Yes. I would love to eradicate burnout and mental health. <laughs> And I'm trying to do that one therapist at a time. And, you know, my administrative goddess, that's what we call her. (laughs) I do the same with her, you know, you know, because we're, like I said earlier, it applies to our people too. We're all in this together. Debbie, I wanted to kind of wrap up with a a question. It's kind of a three-parter, but what would you say are like the top three lessons that, or top three mistakes that you've made in in building this private pay group practice? (laughs) And... A lesson that you learned as a result of that mistake. 
I've made mistakes every step of the way, um, right? We all do. I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit though, which was helpful. But I think the biggest mistake that I made was hiring wrong. It wasn't the clinicians that I hired that was the issue. It was me. So I didn't, I wasn't clear enough. I was too quick to hire. And so I've learned now over the years what kind of person I am and what kind of people I need to represent the brand. And so that was probably my number one mistake. And then my next one was really, I didn't have any systems in the beginning. So I would, it was just kind of like willy nilly. We'll just, you know, fake it till we make it kind of thing. And that was a disaster. So I now have a lot. Now I've learned throughout the years that um, I'm a systems girl. I actually love systems. I don't know why I didn't implement them sooner, but I have manuals for everything. I have templates for everything, scripts. I have how-tos, quick starts. And that really, I think, is was a game changer for us. And then the last thing was assuming that the people that I hired were going to be just like me. That was very difficult because I realized that everybody has their own zone of magic and zone of genius, I guess. And I was not honoring that for them. And that was creating issues within you know, my, my practice. So I've learned now that I do some assessments with people before I hire them just to make sure that I'm utilizing their skill sets in the right way. And so that was, yeah, that was a big mistake too, for sure. That requires like such humility to, to recognize that, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I feel like maybe most business owners have this process where they're, you know, they want to hire out, but then it's like, they're looking for like their prototype, you know? Right. <laughs> so, I, know, I know for me, like with STC, this has been like one of the most humbling processes is to realize like I have some serious like blind spots and areas that I'm just not very good at, you know? Yeah. And either I can try to learn or <laughs> try to pick you up, you know? Well, as you know, like your personal comes out in your business. It's all yeah. interconnected. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. And, and I think you're saying this, like I feel like one of the most, the biggest lessons you've learned in this is just like to like tame your ego and leave that at the door and, and, and think about like what this practice is beyond just yourself, you know? Yes, and being willing to learn yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Those are good lessons. I wanted to actually wrap up with a, a final question, which is, Building a private pay practice, a private pay group practice, especially in an area that, you know, primarily the other practices may take insurance. I imagine it's very stressful. It can be very stressful. Mm -hmm. How do you maintain your emotional health? And, you know, when there is that kind of pressure that's always there? I think the biggest transformation for me has been working with a coaching program. And so finding my people other entrepreneurs who are also in the same, you know, what is that saying that Brene Brown's famous for? You know, if you're not in the arena getting your butt kicked, mm -hmm. then, I'm, you know, what value do you give to me? That's not what she says, but that's the gist of it. So that's been a really big help for me. So whenever I feel discouraged or drained or defeated, I know I can reach out to one of them and mm -hmm. they also know what that's like. So that's been huge for me. And I'm also big on, you know, nourishing myself and taking care of myself. So yeah, absolutely. That is helps too. Is there a coaching program that you like that you're, you know, that's been helpful for you, like in specific? Well, the one that I'm in now is Boldheart. It's Fabienne Fredrickson is the uh, creator. She's a coach and her shtick is getting six figure businesses to seven and I'm halfway there. And I think that support and that direction and 
the ideas and the clarity that I receive is invaluable. I don't know that I'll stay with her forever. The program's two years. I'm coming up on the end of that. I might transition to something else, but I do think that investing in yourself is probably a non-negotiable for those of us who are trying to grow businesses. Yeah. My grandfather, um, who actually passed away last year, but he used to tell me that, you know, if you want to get somewhere, learn from those who've done it. Yeah. And I think there's such, such wisdom because at least for me, like the entrepreneurial part of us can fight against that, right? Because Mm -hmm. we almost have super confidence that we can do these things, but it does require a lot of humility, at least for me, just to realize like, you know, I, this is probably going to save me a lot of time and energy, you know, even though there might be a financial commitment, right? Right. The time savings and the money savings, especially in trying to figure out this stuff and, you know, in the long term is so much better. Yes. Well worth it for sure. Debbie, I'm just so grateful for you. I can't believe our time just flew by, but thank you so much for just sharing some of the lessons that you've learned. Where can we learn more about you and uh, the good work that you're doing in the world? Well, our website is empoweredconnections.net. Perfect. And I'll put that the show notes. It's again, that's empoweredconnections.net. Yes. Debbie, thank you again for doing this and uh, have a great holiday season. Thank you so much, Melvin. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Deborah. And especially if you're in a season where you're thinking about a private paid group practice, but you're especially worried that, man, I'm in just an area that a lot of the practices accept insurance. And am I going to be able to sustain this? I hope that uh, today's podcast session has just given you a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of clarity. You know, one of the things that I took away from this this podcast session, I feel like I take this lesson away a lot of times, which is, you know, one of the is, well, two things. One is I think the power of niching, you know, like if you, especially with a private pay practice, you guys have heard this on just multiple episodes of the podcast that the most successful private pay practices they tend to either niche down to a presenting concern or they tend to niche down to a population or some com- um, sometimes niche down to a training or usually what it is, it's, it's some combination of those factors. And then the second thing I, I just took away from some of the insights that Debbie shared is just the importance of hiring. I have zero desire, to be honest, to be build, to build a group practice, but I've done a lot of hiring for STC. And when Debbie was talking about that, I, it just like really resonated with me because when I initially hired people, what I often did was I focused on money, like basically trying to hire somebody for the cheapest rate possible. And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is what Debbie said, which is ultimately it's about fit. And now I'm at a point where I realize I'm willing to pay a little bit more for especially if it's someone that aligns with how I want to run the business. Debbie's site over again is over at empoweredconnections.net and you can find show notes to today's episode at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 220. As we wrap up again, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for supporting today's podcast session. Therapy Notes is a, a powerful EHR um, to help manage our thriving practices. You can do a number of different things. And one of the really cool things that you can do is clients can have their own client portals. So for example, clients can schedule. And so this is something that I'm doing in my private practice, which is I block out times. So I'm actually using the online scheduler for the initial consult. So what I do is 
I block out times that I'm available for an initial consult. And then once we do that initial consult and we decide this, we would be a good fit in working together, then I have certain slots where I can put clients into. And so, but clients can basically go in, um, schedule those, and then you can either approve or deny those appointment requests and with just a, the click of a button. And then one of the things actually I'm, I'm working on after this client scheduling is you can actually electronically share handouts and agreements and all of that stuff. So, and clients can review it and electronically sign it and send it back to you. And so um, that's something I'm working on. I'm excited to share with you guys as I learn more and implement that as well. But it's a feature that's available at Therapy Notes. You can learn more about Therapy Notes at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.